Hi everybody, welcome to TV Talk episode 14. This is Good Omens part 2. Uh, same crew from last time. Uh, Christian and uh, Jen. What's up? And Nicole. Hello. Bilal didn't join us because he's lazy and hasn't watched a show yet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, not a single Shame episode. on him. What the so heck is that about? <laughs> Slacker. Yeah. He, he promised us he would watch, but no. He didn't. So I'm highly disappointed in him. <laughs> I think we're all highly disappointed in him. I'm telling mm-hmm. his wife. <laughs> <laughs> no video like... games for him for this week. <laughs> Please. That's not going to happen. Are you kidding? Uh, so how did you guys like part two of Good Omens? Oh, boy. Okay. So do we just kind of just, just want to jump into it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I was going to say, like, we could recap the last three episodes, but to be honest, if you're listening to the second half of this podcast, we did a very structured one last week, so you kind of know what to expect, and you've probably more than likely have watched the whole series. So we're just going to talk loosely this time around, you know? Luckily for you, I always talk loosely. So. <laughs> Fast and loose, Jen. Fast That's right. Loose. Just, just wow. like how I play with expiration dates. Fast and loose. <laughs> that was a very specific reference. Because I say that often. I, like I know that's a weird phrases. thing to say often, but yeah, I play fast and loose with the expiration dates on food. So <laughs> it's like you never know what you're going to get, and you. Ex- like exactly. to walk that fine line between life and death. Ex- exactly, which really <laughs> plays in well with good omens, no especially the second part. <laughs> I don't have Agnes Nutter though guiding me through life, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she could I don't think she could predict a lot of things that that I've done in my life. <laughs> like you're going to Oh, no, I guess you are. All right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of Agnes, um Jen, like, they took some liberties and actually added stuff to the show that wasn't in the book, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was that, surprised that final that stuff. prophecy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was that yeah. was Jen. Because that threw me for a loop, but I loved it. At first, when I saw it, I was like, wait, did I miss something? Did I totally forget a part of the book? That- <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put that past me because it's been a while since I've yeah. listened to it. And I'm going to be honest, when I listen to audiobooks, I don't pay as much attention i don't know if this is the case for you nicole i would agree because i kind of get lost in whoever's telling me the story and i kind of just like drone out details and stuff yeah same i'm totally the same way with audiobooks uh i think it's because i usually leave it as like a secondary task while i'm doing something else (laughs) yes so you can like multitask and feel productive but then you kind of lose the quality of like the the reading aspect you know that's true Yeah. yeah yeah And it's also funny that you mentioned that uh, with details being added in, because uh, from my understanding, uh, again, because I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan and I follow him religiously, uh, him and Terry actually added in a lot of material that they were aiming for a Good Omen sequel into the show. Uh, Like the stuff with uh, Gabriel, right? Yes. Okay. So any, Gabriel's like, a, not really a big character in the book. Absolutely. So like any extra added material and a lot of the resolution, I think, to, for the last episode was a little like kind of added on uh, because it's what they were going to plan to do. But because uh, Terry Pratchett sadly passed away, they just didn't have the time to. So Neil kind of just threw it in the show. Uh, so this is definitely just a one time thing then. It's weird because like... Um, Yes and no. I think it's confirmed that Neil Gaiman's definitely retired from okay. touching this again, but they left it open enough where they could technically do another season if they really wanted to. I guess with the whole, like, this isn't the really big battle yet, right? That they, they kept inferring to, wherein um, it would be, like, them against, um, like, uh, the angels and demons against the rest of them being Crowley, Aziraphale, and Humanity, right? Yeah, yeah. I it's, really, yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it's kind of funny you mentioned that, because um, while I love uh, Neil Gaiman as an author, and I model a lot of my writing off of his style, uh, one of the things that's always found, I found strange in his, his work is um, the way he ends things. They're always sort of in a non-climactic, non, non-giant battle situation. So mm. very much in, like, an omens... Uh, it 
it was this big buildup, and then um, it's not this epic battle scene, it's not this big conflict, it's not an Avengers Endgame type thing, and it's not just in this, it's in everything that Neil seems to do, because it's very much in uh, American Gods, it was very much in uh, Sandman, like, a lot of his style is uh, wordplay, and uh, kind of a build-up to a thing, but it doesn't have that epic climactic battle, because he's not a fan of climactic battles, so... Oh, that's an interesting observation. I've I've never really realized that he does that he does that until you just mentioned it. Now you're like, oh yeah, no crap, no crap. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but at the same time, I think a lot of uh, traditional plotters get disappointed because they they want the giant thing, you know, at the end. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, that's one of the things I love most about him because I I don't want because I don't want every story to have to end in a giant climactic moment because. Then, if you notice, like, most of those, I guess, traditional stories, when it ends in that big battle, you get, like, what, maybe a chapter then afterwards Mm -hmm. to kind of wrap Mm -hmm. everything up. And I always feel a little bit disappointed by that. And so, and I think that's probably why I like a lot of Neil's work, because I feel satisfied from a character perspective with what he's done. And... I feel the same way about Good Omens and the way that they've ended it here. And, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think that they should do a sequel for Good Omens? Do you think that they should show this potential epic battle between this angel and demon, I guess, middle ground, and then humanity versus heaven and hell? I almost wonder if Neil's not going to be involved anymore, that it's just not going to be as good. <laughs> and I don't want to get I disappointed. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. Because, yeah, a lot of what made this show so great is his, the work that he put in, honestly. Um, and uh, personally, I don't want to see another one. I think this show ended the way that it should. Although I wouldn't mind kind of like a... T- like breakfast club type ending where it's like oh well a zero fail and crowley lived happily ever after together <laughs> so okay so the only the only acceptable uh sequel in my mind is like uh a youtube web series kind of like a mtv behind the music where are they now oh, okay. uh, with yeah. a zero fail and crowley through uh the years like in the future like things that they have done since this uh fall of the antichrist since the apocalypse didn't happen like i want to i want to see that like what they've done you know i, I want to see like i don't know um <laughs> aziraphale's put on a little weight because he's just been eating all the time <laughs> um <laughs> crowley's trying out this new thing with his hair uh his bentley had babies like i i want to see <laughs> i want to see what they've done i want to see what their house looks like together Lots of plants, I'm sure. Lot, okay, so, mm-hmm. so, so I I had this headcanon throughout reading the books, and I realized watching the show that I'm not alone in thinking this. Um, so I never thought that Crowley actually like killed the plants mm-hmm. when they when they died or whatever, when they you know weren't perfect. Yeah. I yeah. always thought he had like a separate room. And then he would stick, like, ice cubes down the garbage disposal or something to make it sound like he was putting the plant in there to kind of scare them into being good. And then he'd go into that other room and be like, come on, babies, you got to get better. Like, you can't, don't die on me, you know? <laughs> and then there's, like, a third room for, like, the tur- like the, the really, really bad cases, you know? Yeah. Or, like, um, and I only thought of this because I kind of do that, too. So, like, I will go to Lowe's or Home Depot and peruse the clearance plants section and mm-hmm. then those are the ones that i buy to put in my garden and i'm like i Aww. wonder i wonder if crowley <laughs> does that i wonder if he like goes to lowe's and buys the dollar plant because it's dying and then you know puts it in his little rooms and spritzes it with some water and <laughs> is very terse and, and angry with it for <laughs> how dare you don't not you die get on better me. don't you dare die on me yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I can kind of I can totally see that honestly, Jen, because he's it's, a big softy. He is a softy. It's the best part about it. He mm-hmm. tries to be so tough, and we know, especially by the end of this, it's like, oh, dude, you're actually the nicest demon. <laughs> I mean, like I said, with uh, the flashbacks that they did with the Noah's Ark and how he's the one who's concerned about the children. Yeah, and 
uh, I mean, and even when he, um, when he pins Aziraphale against the wall to try to instill fear into him, even Aziraphale is kind of looking at him like he's not afraid of him because I think deep down he knows that Crowley is a good guy and Crowley's going to save him. Yeah. And I think that if it came down to Crowley having to kill Adam Young to stop the apocalypse, he couldn't do it. I mean, it was very much shown in that ending because, like, he was like, "Well, I'm not going to do it." And they asked, uh, "Who was it, uh, Sergeant um, Chadwell, Chadwell. To, yeah. to do it?" And he was like, "Yeah, nope." Like, yeah, it, it was very much a very poetic uh, ending. Did you guys have a favorite scene um, within the last three episodes? I mean, I really liked what they changed with the mm-hmm. ending with them switching faces. Oh, that was. So I thought fun. that uh, David Tennant playing Aziraphale was great in the bathtub, <laughs> asking for a rubber duck. Okay. Yeah. Um, and just the little mannerisms between the two of them. Like, I went back and I watched those scenes, and I was like, "Oh, I see it! Like, I see, I see um, Aziraphale doing that circle thing that Crowley does." Like when he like walks behind him, but he's still looking at him as he was walking behind him when they're getting ice cream. And so there were a couple of times when Crowley oh. does that to Aziraphale. Like and so like just like the little the little quirks, um, the word choices between the two of them. It's very very subtle, but it's so good. Like once he said, uh, "Was it uh, Tiki Boo?" Yeah, I was like, "Oh shit!" Oh, oh, oh. shit! <laughs> um, and so I just. It was such a good moment because it was unexpected for me. And I, I I just, I don't know. It just reinforced my feeling that, you know, God wrote a 6,000 year long love story between these two. And (laughs) I'm here for that. Do you guys think that that was the whole point potentially for this part of God's plan? The ineffable plan? (laughs) That that was so brilliant! Oh my god, it just reminded me of the best of David Tennant and Doctor Who because this mm-hmm. sounded like exactly like something the Doctor would pull off. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because I think in the ineffable plan, I guess none of it was really nonsensical. And so if it's really mm-hmm. just about the adventure and the journey, it is very much just a love story between these two. You know, like I don't really see how you could interpret it any other way. Mm-hmm. Than I'm so that. glad that you're on board with that thought, there, Christian. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's kind of, well, it's not even that. It's just yeah, like because they their entire center of their existence is just the story, you know. Mm-hmm. Like everything's kind of modeled around them, but it's very much, you know, their misadventures together. Even even the ending was just an, another just step of their weird whatever you know journey experience thing that they're going on. And technically, it's not weird. It's beautiful, yeah. Christian. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, these things are eternal, so it's it's beautiful, but it's also going to be crazy. Because you, you think about the style changes over the years, and all the references and the whatnot, and I don't know, it's just, it's a very awesome story. I like it. I kept wondering, too, that if the whole point, at least for this part, was for um, kind of heaven and hell to see that it is possible for two members of opposite teams to essentially come together and work together, right? And you kind of start to see that at the very end when they band together to get revenge on the two characters, but um, who knows? Maybe that was what God wanted all along. But see, but that's but that's also like the great thing. This isn't uh, a Romeo and Juliet scenario where mm-hmm. these two sides, these two factions who have been at war with each other for eternity that they don't have these two members of either side uh, falling in love, changing their views, you know? Like, they still believe that either side is right. They believe in what Mm -hmm. they believe. Um, And so they're not going to just be like, oh, they're right. We should be nice to each other. They're like, (laughs) no, fuck that. Heaven's best. No, hell's best, you know? And so uh, they each have their ways, and they kind of have this... uh, necessary symbiotic relationship between the two but there mm-hmm. that line is still very clearly drawn in the sand mm-hmm. and it's only Aziraphale and Crowley who have kind of Blurred muddled it. that up a little yep. bit and that's what I like 
Oh, absolutely. And towards the end of that, they even said that it's going to be us versus them, mm-hmm. us being humanity and the two of them versus, you know, heaven and hell, which was I thought was really beautiful. I was like, oh, my God, you guys. Very Doctor Who-ish, but very much just this, this story. It's so wonderful. And I love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> so did you so did you guys have favorite parts from the um, the final three episodes? Yeah. So I was going to bring it up. Um, my favorite was meeting Satan. Oh my because god, Benedict that was... Cumberbatch, that's why. Thank you, I was going to say that, yes. Uh, so I was like, how did they get him to do this and not even give him, like, really a face role, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's, yes, he's doing a voiceover, but apparently they did some, like, modeling, like, that CGI Satan is actually Ooh. him, which is crazy. Um, but it's funny because you would think that a long time ago they planned, okay, we're going to get... We're going to get, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, apparently, the reason that they, they chose him was because they had such a good surrounding cast already that they just didn't really feel like they had another option except, you know, getting somebody to play, you know, Satan himself uh, to get Cumberbatch to do it, basically. And How do you think they pitched that to him? You know what? I'm not surprised because... I'm not either because he yeah. seems like a really good sport. Yeah. And he's got an amazing voice. Plus, in 2013... He did the Neverwhere radio drama and played the Angel Islington, and it was awesome. And I highly recommend you both listen to it. I have, actually. Yeah. I can't believe that you've listened to it. That's it's awesome. awesome. It is, Like yeah. James McAvoy, Natalie Dormer. It's yes. Such a good cast. Yes. Such a That's good cast. Okay, yeah. so we have all listened to it. Yeah. Oh, yay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. I'm really not surprised that he was totally on board to do this. And he does such great voice work anyways that, you know, it would pro- it probably would. He had a couple lines. It probably would have, like, been less than a day to record. Yeah, definitely. And uh, from what I understand, the uh, the director, um, he used to work on Sherlock. Oh, there no wonder there are so many Sherlock people on cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. I like so, that. Yeah. <laughs> I, my favorite parts were actually, um, so I really liked every scene that included the four horsemen. And I, like, especially towards the end when the kids um, basically kind of battled their counterparts. And the fact that death still couldn't be killed, which was awesome, because he's such a cosmic force that you really, you know, you can't really make death disappear ever. So even as, like, a concept, like, it, it's inevitable so you can't do anything with it which i thought was really kind of fun and cool yeah uh for anyone who is a terry pratchett or neil gaiman fan death is a very big subject for both of their Mm -hmm. writing um terry pratchett uses death a lot in his um uh what novels were they called again the the ones that he's done the discworld yes yes Mm -hmm. death is a big character in discworld and neil gaiman also has death as a character but not in this iteration and i'm not going to ruin it for anyone but read sad man if you want to see what i'm talking about um yeah so death is amazing and really well portrayed totally heartedly agree i i loved the uh the meeting between them and the was it the mm-hmm. happy porter cafe <laughs> <laughs> and uh porter porker i don't remember not 100 percent sure yeah okay uh and they're all meeting up and then death has been there the whole time playing video games and <laughs> I, I just i think that i i just think that uh, they they cast the four horsemen so well mm-hmm. that they they each had like what two or three speaking lines between them, mm-hmm. and I just they still were just perfect. Like I think that that's that's one of the biggest things with this show is that all of the uh, the roles were so well cast and so well acted that it. As ridiculous as the premise is and as over-the-top as it can be, it still feels real mm-hmm. because these characters that these actors inhabit are, they, they're they real. Absolutely. And I would say, like, there were no small roles just because, e- you're right, like, each actor kind of portrayed their character so well that they all stood out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even yeah. the, like, the young stood out, um freaking the American ambassador who is played by Nick Offerman like oh my god he's hilarious in the few scenes he's in it took me a minute to place him without his mustache (laughs) they did on purpose I was like oh I see what you did you're clean here so it just throws everybody off (laughs) yeah 
Um, there is one character, though, that I felt was kind of odd, and I liked him, but I didn't really care for him. Mm-hmm. Is the it Chadwell? De- the delivery dude. <gasps> oh, okay. I was confused by that. I was yeah. like, okay, I get what you're doing. You have a little backstory. You killed yourself. Okay. What? I don't know if he meant to do that, but he died to deliver the last message to death. He and... didn't. I don't think he meant to. Yeah. Okay. But he's, I mean, he still did his, his duty, I guess. But, and then he comes back once they do the reset, right? But mm-hmm. like, was there any, was he an added character? Was there more to him in the books or? Um, he, I... go ahead, Jen. No, no, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Okay, well, because <laughs> I, I don't think that he was. Yeah. I just, I mean, I just think that that's just one of those things. There's a lot of, like, little offshoots. So, like, mm-hmm. and with the four horsemen, there were four other horsemen of the apocalypse, too. Oh, seriously? And the books. Eight? Well, no, they're the other. They're the others. <laughs> Do you remember Wait. that, Nicole? Like, the, the the four others that they ride with them on the motorcycles? Oh, my God, yes! And I so, totally forgot about them! And they're, and they're, yeah. they're so, like, it's so it's just these, like, minor things yeah. throughout that I think that they've kind of just made bigger mm-hmm. in the show. And so they cut those four other horse like capital other yeah horsemen um they were kind of like their minions that that was just following them as like groupies and they're it ridiculous they're so <laughs> stupid but so they they cut those out for mm-hmm. obviously like time constraint purposes um but with the delivery man i mean i don't think that we got the level of quote-unquote backstory that mm-hmm. we did with him but he's just a dude that's just committed to his job. Like, I, I you know, that's a level of job commitment that I don't have. Um, I think it's just one of those just quirky playing it up kind of things. I don't know. I don't know how else I would describe it. Like, it's like trying to explain, like, why um, Newton Pulsifer is the way that he is. Like, why mm-hmm. he's so cursed. There's, like, not really a reason as far as I remember, Nicole, for... Like why he is the way that he is. Yeah, just I that think kind of it was that. just kind yeah. of needed for the story that was being told, and, so... and it was it was excellent because like his little curse was it a full curse or was it just computer technology? I, I don't even know if it was a curse. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So like, they leave it ambiguous too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think oh, it was cool. just him. Like he's just bad luck or something. I don't know. Yeah, but then he ends up being the solution to everything. Yep. From like the area you least expect it. <laughs> Which is fantastic because, like, I, I think Neil Gaiman has done this in the past too, in other in other books. But I can't spoil those. But it's <laughs> it's uh it's great because it's like it's kind of the hero you don't expect, you know, kind of like Neville in mm-hmm. Harry Potter, or I'm sure there's a million other. Oh, in Game of Thrones. Never mind. I'm not going to talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I was like, yeah, who, why would you? Why who would you, you do that? talking so, about? Was a hero in Game of Thrones? <laughs> I'm so traumatized. How dare you? I have yeah. not recovered. Yeah, that's, from Game of Thrones. That's my bad. <laughs> Um, was was there was there anything that you didn't like about it, Nicole? Um, no, I really, I actually didn't really have any criticisms of it whatsoever. Like, I really liked the pacing. I liked the characters and the actors. I liked all the extra stuff that they added in, like even um with the box that um um that Agnes left Anathema and and Newton. That was, yeah. yeah, that was really fun too, just because had she not burned that second part, like who knows what would have happened. But then also sh- um, it was probably predicted that she would have burned it, right? I guess so. I mean, it just seemed to me like they wanted to give her the full character arc. Mm-hmm. So like let her choose to finally be independent of uh, predetermination, you know, mm-hmm. which was beautiful in a way, so... Although that relationship with Pulsifer just like totally whoom, like right in there, you know. And do you think that was more as a uh, kind of like did it happen because Agnes predicted it would happen, or was it going to happen regardless? Like, I mean, that's one of those questions, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I I mean, I'm sure that's a question that the two of them, as a couple, would probably fight about <laughs> in. <laughs> years to come mm-hmm. if they're still together you know yeah um or maybe some kind of d- internal struggle like mm-hmm. did i choose to be with this person i mean he's really really bad with technology <laughs> yeah which like is kind of funny. don't give that dude a cell phone 
So, I mean, and the, the fact that he drives a Reliant Robin is just still one of my favorite things. Because I don't really like Newton that mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he drives the Reliant Robin is perfect for me because I'm a, I'm a big fan of Top Gear. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. seen that show. Great show, yeah. And, uh, original the, Top Gear, right, Jen? Original, not the new one. Oh, what is this new one? This is this doesn't count. Yeah, um, and so and they do one where uh, Clarkson drives the Reliant Robin around, <laughs> and uh, he's just constantly fall knocking it on its side and having people around uh, a little village to help him lift it back <laughs> up and put it up. And so the fact that Newton Pulsifer drives a Reliant Robin, which this, I mean, that's it's an unstable vehicle uh, that they tried to use to get around certain. Uh, what was it like? Certain taxes or something? Because four wheels, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or certain like regulations. I don't remember exactly like why they made the Reliant Robin, but it's so stupid. Um, That's great, you know. Yeah. So so it's perfect. Yeah. That Newton uh, that drive that he drives it. So, but I mean, I would say that probably the things that I didn't like as much is I felt sad that. Uh, Crowley and Aziraphale weren't in uh, episode, I think, four it was, as much as I wanted them to be. There were there were uh, parts throughout where I was mm-hmm. like, I really miss them. I haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. Uh, and necessary story building. But it was just me just missing them. And then I think Newton. He's just over the top. <laughs> and I just, I don't know why I don't <laughs> like him as much because he's adorable. But he just, just kind of that like really like dorky squirrely attitude kind of just i don't know makes me squeamish in a weird way i just i'm just like ah okay next (laughs) i think it's because he actively isn't he's kind of just getting thrown into things you know probably because he's so uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable to watch him Mm. yeah i can i can see that Mm -hmm. he is super awkward to like another level but yeah yeah um, it's funny that you mentioned that for about episode four because I actually wrote it down in one of my notes. Like, a lot of people actually complained that there just wasn't enough uh, Aziraphale and Crowley, but it was very much their like breaking up episode, you know. And it it set up a nice uh, dramatic arc that went into episode five, where mm-hmm. um, the bookstore is oh, accidentally yeah. uh, well, he accidentally what is it? Yeah, discorporates himself, and then the bookstore gets burned. That, you know, the bookstore burning and then Crowley's car exploding, like, those actually were, like, really hard to watch, too, in, in the sense where it was, like, these two things that um, the two characters, like, loved the most uh-huh. during their time, apart from each other, of course. But, um, yeah, like, even um, uh, when Crowley had to, like, take a moment to, like, grieve for his car. <laughs> that was a great scene. <laughs> that was such a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the bookstore burning hit me so much harder because the next episode, you see Crowley looking for him. And oh, he's just yeah. like, mm-hmm. they killed my best friend. And he's like so disheartened. Yeah. And, and distraught. It's, and exactly. Sad, yeah. And it's so like uh, Doctor Who, Who-ish, like old David Tennant. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great scene overall, like all around. And apparently it was a nightmare to, uh, to film because uh, from when I was reading, uh, that area of London was a recreation so everything you saw there all those buildings uh everything about the town was basically a set and they created their own little street oh cool but the crazy part is the bookstore was actually a legitimate bookstore all those books are real and they just used like garbage novels and anything that people wanted to donate that looked like hardcore covers because that burning scene is a literal burning scene that's a real fire (gasps) Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so they, they really burned those books? Yeah, but they were all garbage <gasps> books anyway. But like, so what you're seeing... Took There's still a l- books. They probably still have that really good smell. <laughs> yes. But like, it was just, it was like one of the more difficult scenes apparently to shoot. But I think they did a great job all around. Like, Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I love David Tennant's acting in that scene especially. I love when uh, the Bentley explodes mm-hmm. and then the book... Uh, the bookstore burning just because he acts so much with his body he's a he's a very physical actor and so like kind of the way that he like throws his head back and forth when he's yelling um (laughs) you can tell that he's like really upset about it because he cannot stay still Mm -hmm. and 
I enjoy that. I enjoy that so much about his character. Even, I love that. You, yeah. Oh, go uh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, even like when um, after uh, which call it when he when Crowley drives through um, the was it the M six was it the M twenty five M twenty five yes. And he, you know, the car's burning and he's like holding it together through sheer will force. Like, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> and, you, and it was really, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, he was going to his love and like ch- battling every obstacle in his way to get to, to get to his dude. And it was beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also found it funny because we mentioned earlier that like Crowley, he's charismatic. Oh, yes. And. Um, uh, before I change topics again, uh, agree with the physical actions of David Tennant. Mm-hmm. He's very much a uh, stage actor, which is why he's so physical, because mm-hmm. when you're a performer on stage, you need to be to right. convey. Yeah. So, yes, hands down. He's also that's the reason he's my favorite doctor. Uh, going back a few steps, um, the M25 and, and, and Crowley in, on the whole and the good versus evil. If you notice, the only time Crowley ever seems to get into deep shit as when he kind of causes his own problems, which I always found really funny about this series. And so the M25, I thought, was a great scene because mm-hmm. the reason it's a nightmare and that it's covered in fire and it's such a it's, it's just a hassle is himself, exactly. <laughs> he, he made it to be that way and made it like a demonic symbol. And it was, it was great because it's like, wow, dude, you always just get in your own way. You know, it, it's great. It was one of the times where he actually did the work. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't just take credit for somebody else. Like... He changed the plans for the M25 design to make it into a demonic symbol so it would be terrible. <laughs> he didn't just take credit yeah. for World War II. And then it bites yeah. him in the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it bites him in the ass. Like, this is why I don't do any work. <laughs> this, this is why I can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um... Yeah, did you guys have anything else that sort of really stood out for you, scene-wise? I really, I really just loved John Hamm as Gabriel. Um, I don't, I don't know why I feel the need to kind of reinforce that, but I just think he was so well done. Like he's so perfectly cast, Absolutely. and um, his his kind of car salesman smarminess <laughs> is <laughs> perfect. Very great homage to Mad Men, I feel like, with John Hamm. But uh, uh, Haster, I feel mm-hmm. like he deserves a mention because the whole holy water thing. Oh, uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, where um, he's looking for uh, Crowley. Because it, was, it was probably one of my favorite scenes in the show. Um, he's looking for him with his, his one demon friend, whose name totally slips my mind. Um, and they're, like, calling him out, saying Crowley. And uh, he has... He has this bucket of holy water set up on top of uh, the door, and immediately once uh, the other demon opens it, it just falls on him, and he just melts instantly. And it leads to this really funny segue of uh, of Haster, tr- like it's a, like a, a showdown between the two of them, and he he calls Crowley out on his bluff that his little planter uh, squirting gun thing is filled with holy water, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it leads to um, Crowley kind of looking for a way out and so he goes through his phone into the answering machine and kind of traps Haster there because he follows him but the reason I'm bringing it up is because it leads to my favorite sequence in the entire series which is the dancing <laughs> none of the holy water stuff just that one moment to set up a one big pun which was dancing so basically because he goes into the phone they have to explain God takes a minute to explain how can how can Crowley go into that and it has to do with like space and like an angel and demon's perception of space and time. And they show this really funny sequence of Aziraphale and how angels don't really dance because they don't have feet and the whatnot. But but Aziraphale is the only angel who could because he knew this one random dance from like the eighteen <laughs> like hundreds or something, and he loved it. Like and it, it the the amount of enjoyment and enthusiasm in his face is priceless alone. But like it never it went completely out of fashion to never be used again. But it was the only case of a of a of an angel dancing, which then cut to you show see Crowley dancing in his weird, terrible, awful way, and uh-huh. none of it's relevant. But it was a great way to show both of them dancing. It was and like I, I how many it. angels or demons can dance on a pin or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's so random but hilarious. It's so random but delightful. Yeah. 
I totally forgot about that one too. Oh, Missy, yeah. I feel like it's burned into my brain that <laughs> image of him dancing with the pen. It is, but I it with that me- hair. Yes, oh, that's what I loved about it too. Oh, it does. Oh gosh. But I just love the context too because it's so left field. Mm-hmm. I did not expect that at all. Okay, so should we talk about some of the other characters maybe and mm-hmm. things that they've done? We could talk about like uh, the kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah we how, should. Did, how did you guys feel about that scene when Adam almost loses it and like beca- kind of invokes his Antichrist powers and does the glowy red eyes thing and sort of like commands his friends to like shut up and stuff? So as somebody who works with kids, mm-hmm. that scene was perfect mm. because... <laughs> That is how children are. Like, once they get this feeling that they might have a a little bit of power, Mm -hmm. they'll run with it. And their intentions are usually misguided with that kind of drunk with power feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of like with Adam, I think he realized that he overstepped those bounds and that his friends are so important to him and so he he backed off like I just thought it was it was really well done because while I was watching I was kind of shouting back at Adam because he's screaming at them to talk but he's kept them from speaking like he's covered their mouths or made their mouths disappear and uh, and I'm like, what are you doing, Adam? They, they don't have any mouths. They can't talk to you, obviously. Um, and so for me, that's always kind of a sign of a of a of a good scene because mm-hmm. if I'm talking back to it, I'm invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's Game of Thrones, and then I'm just screaming at it. <laughs> um, but it was it was really heartwarming to kind of have him pull back like that and i love that dog is part of the friend side and not part of adam which he follows the other kids that was amazing and i love that you referenced that because i was confused for a second i was like wait but dog is supposed to be his right and then i realized no he's supposed to be a dog and adam's being a jerk so yeah yep yeah oh what a good, what a good, what dog. a good dog, yeah. yeah. Not only that, but if you if you remember the first thing, because uh, Adam's like, whatever, you can leave, I don't care. And the first thing he says when they walk away, and he like come, comes back to yeah. see them, is give me back my dog. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're such a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't just uh, take your crayons and leave and then act like that. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um. Shall we talk about? Um, Madame Tracy. Oh, like that scene when she was um, getting possessed by Aziraphale I thought was hilarious. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the seance scene. <laughs> yeah. It's it so was good. definitely funny, yeah. And I had forgotten that, like, um, the whole moment between um, one of the one of her guests, the really annoying housewife who was talking to her dead husband. <laughs> oh, that was so good. She's like, was it Reg? I think his his name was Reg, and he finally tells her to shut up, which was yeah, beautiful. <laughs> uh, with her too, um, how did you feel about her relationship with Shadwell towards the uh, end of it? They make me uncomfortable. Yeah? Yeah. I just... I don't... I don't really like Shadwell. Like, I think he's okay. I think Mm -hmm. he's interesting from a character perspective just because of how over the top he is and kind of devoted to his own madness. Like, he's he's clearly got a few screws Mm -hmm. loose. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm fine with that. I don't need, like, every character to have their clean lines and stuff. Um, but, uh, and I think that there probably is something to, there is maybe a sweetness implied in him constantly calling her a harlot or Jezebel, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it also makes me really uncomfortable too. And so I think it was lightened up by the fact that when she, um, brings him to her place and kind of lays him down on that bed covered in stuffed animals and he's kind of like looking around at this innocence 
so to speak, with her. And he, he, he softens to her. And then when he calls her those things, it's not with the same uh, hatred or loathing. Yeah, it's more, but it's more of, it kind of transforms into more like an endearment of sorts, right? Yeah, like yeah. kind of like how uh, Crowley calls Aziraphale angel. Mm-hmm. It's not an insult, like, yeah. it's his angel, you know, <laughs> so, which I love that, by the way. I didn't mention that last episode. Um, and so I think that it's okay, but it's, I'm still kind of on the fence about that. I don't know what you guys think. If actually now it's a, it's kind of good that you brought that up because if there was one kind of, um, uh, aspect that wasn't totally uncomfortable i actually would agree with you because especially at the end too when madam tracy goes oh like i've saved up some money like maybe we can you know do like do life together and i like get a little cottage and stuff and all i could think of was why did he not work at all and have any money right and she is gonna like spend all of her savings on this guy who's been calling right? her a whore and shit all these years like i don't know how i feel about that mm, yeah <laughs> Yeah, like, what are, what are we missing here? Yeah. Like, why does she love him? Yeah. Like, what did he actually do for her to make her so, like, attached to him? Right? D- yeah. I don't Maybe know. because he was the one guy that wasn't, like, around her that was paying her for things? Or try to get her in bed? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel that. like I'd need to see more. Yeah. He's playing that, really fall for that long con, hard to get game, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that nagging nonsense? Uh, uh-huh. Get that out of here. Uh-huh. Throw that book out the window. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I really didn't care for it. Um, yeah, their whole romance story was never that interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But I did find it really funny that, you know, as you mentioned, that he... he He's pretty much just a giant mooch. Not just off her, but of everyone, but her in particular. And mm-hmm. so now he's going to be the mooch for the rest of his life. Together. Yay. And he's, yep, it's just yeah. rewarding his crappy behavior. Yeah. yeah. That being said, though, even though I disagreed with it, I was totally in the guy mindset saying, you know what? Take that deal, man. You're not going to get anything better than this. Because <laughs> I, I, I would do it if I were you. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. Have we covered everything? I feel like we may have covered everything. I I think we indirectly uh, hit all the beats, yeah. Um, if you guys had access to uh, an Agnes Nutter book, would you read it? Ooh. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Probably for me. Um, I don't know. Uh, yes, but would I act on it? I'm not sure if that makes any sense. That is true. Yeah. That is a good point. Because, like, definitely yes because of curiosity, but, <laughs> like, I don't like determinism as a philosophy. It just makes me really depressed. <laughs> so. Well, would you be tempted if, you know, if there were, like, stock, um, stock advice? Like, would you be tempted to purchase certain stocks if you knew what the outcome was going to be? Yeah, but then it's like it's like the twi- episode of Twilight Zone. It's like yeah. you know what the outcome's gonna be, but what if like one of the outcomes is also you're gonna die miserable and alone true. because of this? Because it's true. Yeah, so it's like so then oh, the risk wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I'd still probably read it because curiosity would get me, and then I'd still lose either way. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of just my life, though. <laughs> Jen. Oh, I would read it. I would probably read it obsessively. Um, <laughs> And then if there was something in there that like I didn't like or I didn't want to that I didn't want to know about, I would try to lie to myself and trick myself into thinking that it's I fine. didn't read yeah. that or it's <laughs> totally fine. It's totally not true and definitely won't Happen. come to fruition. <laughs> um, so like on this day, you're going to hit by a bus. Uh, well, then fuck you. I'm just not going to be near buses. I, I'm just going to stay home today. <laughs> I'm just going to stay at home. Yeah. Joke's on you. Uh, so. Um. Yeah, that's that's what I would do. Definitely read it. Definitely uh, take any stock advice. <laughs> sure. Definitely anything to get money. <laughs> Though I don't know. I mean, maybe I wouldn't because then I would have to act on things. I'd be like, well, I'm sure I could buy those stocks tomorrow, right? 
And then so, you find out that it was that day only, right? And it was that day yeah. only or something, and I've just goofed. And it's Ironic. like, okay, cool. Yeah. Now I'm just filled with self-loathing for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and that's what God intended. That it's was an part ineffable. of the plan. Yeah. It's the ineffable it's, it's plan. It's part of his ineffable plan, plan for you to be filled with self-loathing <laughs> and uh, lie awake at night cringing at everything that you've ever said or done. <laughs> And with that, I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, final thoughts on the series overall. Although we did, I say don't that want last a sequel. Week. You don't want. I a don't sequel. want a sequel. Okay. I think that it's perfect as it is. I think that we need more shows like this one that don't run on for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that having kind of this condensed mini series storytelling device lends itself to having much more concise and well-told stories on television. Hmm. So I would much prefer that to some of the other things that we've had that have dragged out for years and years and left me disappointed. I'm not going to say any names on what these things are. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, you know, the uh, astute listener could totally guess. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, after finishing this and then Chernobyl and how well these kind of smaller but very well-told stories have been done, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm a big fan, and I don't want a sequel. I want it to stay as as it is. I thought the same thing with Stranger Things. I wanted Stranger Things to only be one season. But now it's going to be three and And now it's going to be huge and all over the place, and it's never going to end, and then it's just going to be terrible. And then it'll get canceled because people will not like it anymore because <laughs> they change no it won't get canceled it'll stay on forever and then meanwhile one day at a time we'll stay in freaking limbo even though that's one of the best sitcoms <laughs> we've ever had that's fine <sighs> this is fine this is fine Memories. Yeah. <laughs> this is fine i'm having a moment here okay i yeah i mean i think Agreed. Like, if if Neil Gaiman isn't going to be involved in the second season, like, I don't think it's necessary. Although, I wouldn't mind um, an extended version of um, Crowley and a Zero Fail throughout the years, because that's probably my favorite part of the entire series, was just seeing the two of them together in all these different, like, time periods. Mm-hmm. Um, although, it would, be, I wish that Amazon would... Uh, potentially um, uh, adapt more of Neil Gaiman's stuff. Like, that would be cool. FYI, Amazon. You have the money. You should do it. (laughs) That would be cool, but, like, his stuff's been really, really difficult to adapt because of his writing style. True. Very true. Although, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, it's just, uh, it's very not climactic as i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. on the podcast so because of that it's it throws a lot of people off ah, gotcha. and i think american gods is very much suffering from that right now actually so for anyone who watches that show yeah. actually you know what you're right like i did not watch season two yet. yeah wait did it come out already or wait no it's i think it wrapped up already see yeah. okay see i didn't even watch it and i enjoyed season one pretty well but then i lost interest and yeah too bad but I'll, it's one of those things that i know i'm gonna watch at some point but just haven't gotten to it yet i mean i've been the same boat but i think i'm just not a fan of how stars does work like in general because mm-hmm. they keep canceling things that i like and i'm like you know what Screw no you. yeah yeah, I'm kind See, of over I think, stars. I think Stars does the the period shows very, very well. Mm. Oh. Like it's done really mm-hmm. well with Outlander. Mm-hmm. Um, it's done really well with all like the White Princess, uh, the yeah. White Queen. Yeah. Um, those have all been good. The Tudors was really good. So like those like period shows, Stars is phenomenal. Okay. Um, something that's a little more eclectic, like American Gods, less so. And so in the when they when they take on those kinds of stories. They don't do as well. Mm. I can see that's that. That's my take. Okay. Yeah. Because I loved Ash vs. Evil Dead. That's gone. And I loved uh, I loved American Gods, but it's kind of getting really messy. And uh, so I'm kind of just tired. <laughs> like, thanks, stars, for killing things that I love. Um, but yeah. What about you? Final thoughts, Christian? Oh, uh, I was always going to be biased uh, from the beginning. I loved uh, Neil Gaiman, and I loved uh, this story. So, uh, 
I think they did a great job of all arounds. Um, it's very creative and very different from what you're used to. And because I think BBC partnered with them, they I think they specifically wanted only like a very limited miniseries of like six to even like eight episodes at most. And because uh, if anyone who watches British television, there's usually caps on seasons and, mm-hmm. and series and the whatnot. So like it was never going to be uh, this big thing. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, it was not not going to be a thing, big thing, but it was never going to be a longstanding thing. So would I want a season two? Probably not. Um, that being said, uh, I wouldn't mind extra bonus content uh, for season one. But we'll see. One can hope, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the Good Omens podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm your host, Christian. You can follow me on thewordprint.com, where I write many articles, uh, XN underscore Angelus on Twitter, and XN Angelus on Instagram. Uh, Nicole, Jen? Um, go ahead, Jen. Oh, uh, if you guys want to follow me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Jen Stayrook. And then go on to thewordprint.com and read all of Christian's awesome stuff. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at N-I-I-X-E, and yes, you can also go on WorkPrint to read Christian's stuff, because he's great. <laughs> Nicole has wow. really good stuff, too. Oh, Nicole has amazing stuff, dude. <laughs> Although, I'm uh, on semi-hiatus right now. I'm on vacation, guys. <laughs> are you really? Where are you No, not really. Oh, no, no, oh, okay. no, not really. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. I wish I was vacationing. Well, I'm technically vacationing a little bit from writing. A little bit. Yeah, but... I will probably pick up like in the summer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, can't can't wait for it. So, yay. All right. Yay! Um, Thanks so much for listening to uh to us talk about uh, my queer dads. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed this fangirling. <laughs> and boying. And boying, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, only fangirling no. here, Christian. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that uh yes thank you for listening audience and uh all have a wonderful time week whatever we'll see you for the podcast about um jessica jones that'll be next okay yeah. till then bye-bye. bye bye